Welcome to the Five Good Ideas podcast, where we rebroadcast some of the best sessions of Maytree's popular Lunch and Learn program. I'm your host, Gayatri Kumar, and I'm a communication specialist at Maytree. We're a Toronto-based organization committed to exploring solutions to poverty in Canada using a human rights approach. For each session of Five Good Ideas, we invite an expert from the nonprofit or corporate sector to share five practical ideas on a key management issue facing nonprofit organizations today. In the session you're about to hear, originally recorded on March 28, 2019, we look at bridging the age and culture gap for the new workplace with our speakers, Agapi Jusesi and Nation Chong. There's a big shift underway in the workplace right now. Younger generations are replacing current leaders who are retiring. And as these young people navigate their way into the sector, they have to deal with the many myths and stereotypes that seem to follow them everywhere they go. In their presentation, Agapi Jusesi and Nation Chong attempt to dismantle these myths. They share their ideas on how to engage, include, and support young people so that they become authentic, strong, resilient, and accountable leaders for the future. Agapi Jusesi is the executive director of C Center for Young Black Professionals, an organization dedicated to addressing economic issues affecting black youth. She also served as executive director of POV Third Street, an organization that helps marginalized youth break into the media industry. Nation Chong is Vice President of Community Opportunities and Mobilization at United Way Greater Toronto. He's a respected partnership builder, strategic thinker, community animator, artist, musician, and teacher. Nation has dedicated his professional and personal time to community development strategies with a focus on supporting young people in communities across the GTA. Here are Agapi and Nation with their five good ideas on bridging the age and culture gap for the new workplace. Every so often, life gives you an opportunity to stop and take stock of where you are in a point in time and appreciate how you got there. This is that moment for me. And you'll understand why as we continue to kind of share with you our experience in this framework of talking about bridging the gap, uh, both the age and cultural gap for the new workforce. I'll start a little bit by saying that I had no intention on being here today. Not I had no intention on showing up for today's event. This was not my life plan. I had no intention in being in this sector. I had a ridiculously trite idea of being an artist, painting, writing fantastic poetry. That went in a different direction very clearly. Uh, and I didn't expect to be doing this amazing work that I have, I feel quite privileged to be doing today. Uh, it happened because I walked into the doors of a community service agency in downtown East known as Dixon Hall. Um, I didn't have a penny in my pocket and I needed something to do because I was going stir crazy. And someone had a contract at that time and said, do you think, do you know about this thing called the internet? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I heard of it. Uh, do you think you can teach some young people and some seniors how to set up an email and communicate with folks? I thought, I can do that for sure. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I needed that $2,000, and I'm going to make myself learn how to do that. That was the beginning of my journey, and it's led me to where I am today um, and my relationship with Agapi, and we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, much like Nation, uh, I never, growing up, my 
mother would always tell me, if you want to help people, and I, so most immigrant families, or East African, I'm East African, they want you to either become a doctor or a lawyer, and I told my mom, okay, well, I want to become a lawyer, and she's like, no, she took me to 1000 Finch, I don't know if any of you are familiar with 1000 Finch, and we sat there when I was, I think, like, 12 years old, and we sat there for the entire day, and lawyers kept coming up to us, you need a lawyer, you need a lawyer, you need a lawyer, and my mom was like, do you want to be one of them? <laughs> She's like, helping people doesn't pay bills, so if you want to help people, do it on your own time. Um, and so that's essentially, like, so growing up, I thought, that's, I'm going to have to do something else, because helping people might be something I have to volunteer and do. Um, so I actually started my, like, first time real job. I worked at a bank, and I was like, I'm going to help people become financially free. I was brainwashed. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, I volunteered, so I always used to call it like my my five to nine job because after I left my job, I would go and volunteer. And I actually volunteered at Toronto Community Housing. And uh, United Way had a, a program called City Leaders that were for people who were working or volunteering in the social service sector that wanted to do that work better. Um, and I was really passionate about helping people because personally, from my own um, kind of trajectory of life, um, I had a pretty awesome childhood, I would say. Um, but at 14, my mother passed away really suddenly. And so that really changed the trajectory of my life as a young person. And I think I would, um, in social service terms, be deemed like a, a an at-risk youth, at risk of brilliance, obviously. But... <laughs> But that's what that that was the reality of my life. So I was really passionate about helping other people, even in the midst of my struggle, right? Like really, I was passionate about helping other people. And so I entered into this program, and uh, I didn't really know what United Way did at all. Like I knew, you know, the signs. Without you, there is no way, and the hand. <laughs> but I didn't really know what they did. So I was able to have access to this to this organization and walking through the doors, I saw people who look like me and they, I'm like, uh, more specifically, um, well, Nation was at YCF or transitioned into um, United Way. So Nation was there and I always saw him in community. So I'm like, well, he looks like he's well fed. <laughs> um, and then I went to like other folks, not that, <laughs> you know, um, and I, and I um, was introduced to um, a gentleman named Emmanuel Mellis, and he was also an East African man, which for me was just like so, I guess, made things real for me because we were from the same culture, and I saw him in this like role, and I thought to myself, well, all of these people seem to have pretty well-paying jobs, <laughs> and they're not like a needler, a needler, right? So um, I think that I could make this a career, and so that's what I did, and that's how I think I'm here today. City leaders. That was 2008, 2009? Yeah, is when it um, merged. Yeah. Okay. So point in time, 2008, 2009, travel back to me, to me entering into Dixon Hall yeah. um, around 1997. Um, I've got a drum on my back. Uh, I know how to play music, and I'm offering to volunteer just to get in. Somebody offers me this contract, which I, uh, which I, uh, I took. It's an organization, a very contrasting story to, to Agapi, that didn't necessarily reflect me. It was predominantly white organization. The executive director who became my mentor and a father figure to me was a dashing, um, blue-eyed, blue steely-eyed, silver-haired gentleman by the name of Bruce McDougall. Uh, and I was super suspicious of him for a while because he was just the 
blue-eyed, super dashing, like, you've got to be a police officer. That was my <laughs> mindset at the time. Uh, but someone who had enough of his own values uh, that saw enough potential in a number of us who have been, who benefited from his care and his leadership to keep pushing us and putting challenges and opportunities in front of us and in saying, I think you can do that. Step up. I'm going to pause here. How many folks in this room have a post-secondary education? Wow. I have a grade 12 education. I made it to university. Um, my first child was on her way. My second child was on her way. I was 20. Uh, and so that took my life in a completely different direction. That's an important point. Mm -hmm. It's an important point for the conversation as it unfolds of who we value, what skills we value, and who shows up at the door with what credentials that says you're worth my time. So I'm starting to lay the challenge on the ground of how we begin to bridge the gap and create spaces for folks to enter into our organizations, into our spaces that maximizes their potential. I had the great luck to be in an organization that had social values that were centered in equity, anti-racism. Many of the folks in senior leadership did not look like, there was no person of color. I think the person that was head of finance was Chinese. Everybody else, prominently of European descent. The frontline workers, as it is in many organizations, are predominantly people of color. And that's where, that, that was my entry point into it. Uh, so first point is about the ability to see beyond our traditional markers of uh, value and qualifications, uh, I'm a testimony to that right now. Um, so that journey with in, in Dixon Hall, a number of challenges were put in front of me. I did them well enough that I managed to make it to a manager's position. Uh, they threw an Excel spreadsheet in front of me and I thought, this is it. <laughs> I'm out the door. <laughs> I'm gone. Um, I won an award that year uh, for best new manager because I took on a spreadsheet and I actually figured out how to do it and I knew what I was doing with a little bit of coaching. Um, Excel helps because all the formulas are built in, but once you learn how to do it, um, you, you, you can develop that skill quite, quite easily. Uh, so another example of uh, someone having enough faith in an individual who does not have a post-secondary education, is not coming through the traditional pathway, but puts a challenge in front of them enough for them to stretch and demonstrate their capacity to take on the challenge and prove to themselves and to the organization, I can do this work. Uh, that work lasted for almost nine years. And then in 2006, I answered the call to a unique opportunity called the Youth Challenge Fund, which was a partnership between United Way the city, the, the province of Ontario, uh, to respond to um, what was a peak point of youth violence connected to uh, young people in the, happened in the downtown Toronto, but connected to young people in the, in the inner suburbs. And that's how our life paths started to weave together. Yeah, yeah I think um, when I was at Toronto Community Housing volunteering, uh, I helped them with the youth engagement strategy. Um, so they wanted to engage young people in a different way. And so I volunteered to, to help with that strategy. And so once we were done, they were like, hey, um, we're going to take this on the road. So we're going to go to three or four different cities across Canada if you want to come with the director and, um, and present it. So I said, yeah, sure. All the while, 
I'm in the city leaders program. Uh, and so on the plane ride back on our last city, the director turned to me and she's like, uh, and I think this is also really important um, to know is you have to expect more of young people in order for them to rise to the occasion. Um, because the whole time when we were on this tour, I was kind of just like, she just kept becoming really like, I just can't believe that, like how you presented and how you, and she was just really surprised at what came very naturally to me at the time. And so I thought, well, do you think I'm dumb? <laughs> like, why wouldn't you expect that? So. Um, that led to her turning to me and being like, I just, this is not what I had expected out of, out of this experience with you. I really think that you should think about, um, I've already spoke to some folks and I really think that you should think about coming to work for us. Uh, and remember, I'm at CIBC, so or at a bank. <laughs> and I think I'm like making people financially free. And so I'm like, oh, thanks, love. I'm okay, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, oh no, I think I'm okay. I'm at the bank, I'm making money, like I'm good. Um, in hindsight, making pennies, but yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and for me, what that, the reason, part of the reason why I rejected the opportunity at first was, you didn't even think I could do this. <laughs> so why would I want to work for you, right? And so, um, after thinking about it, <laughs> I went back home and after thinking about it, I thought, well, um, going through the city leaders program was coming to an end and I was just like, well, why wouldn't I do this? I'm really passionate about it. I really enjoy it. Um, and so I'm going to go for it. And I ended up taking a job at um, Toronto Community Housing. And I really quickly was able to, um, I started as a youth mentor, and I really quickly was um, was given other assignments. So I wasn't, so the other important thing is I wasn't given title, but I was given assignment, right? And so I was doing this assignment, making not as much as what the person was, but I did that really well and I wanted to strive and I actually had a manager who um, would come to me and acknowledge and say like I know this really I know kind of sucks that you've been doing this for X amount of months and like your pay hasn't changed but like I really think that there's something that you can learn here because you're, you're hungry and you want to learn and I want to be able to cultivate that uh, and so this manager really took me under her wing and taught me the rope. She had the job that I was doing prior to, and she just got a promotion. And she really like sat down with me weekly and talked about like, what do you want to do? Where do you see yourself? Because at the end of the day, if HR says like we're dissolving this thing, like what's your plan? Like how can I kind of like get you where you want to go? Um, and Excel was actually one of, I think the biggest thing I could say that it, that manager took away with me was like she taught me how to formulate in, <laughs> in Excel. And this was like when <clears throat> the era of like we need numbers, numbers started to kind of like come into the sector. And so <clears throat> knowing how to formulate on Excel <laughs> is like a huge uh, win in that, in that category. And so um, the opportunity arose, and this kind of like is where um, Nation and I, again, we like weave back together, is uh, so I graduated city leaders. I loved it. I was like, as far as I'm concerned to this day, and there's some city leaders in the room, um, to this day I say like that program changed my life. Like, and I know that's 
sounds like a tall glass to give a program, but it, it actually did. Like it, it introduced me to people that made me change my mind about my career. And then it actually like lifted my career to where it needed to go. And so um, the folks at United Way said, oh, well, somebody just left. The coordinator just left. And I loved the work that I was doing at housing because um, I was like all across the city and this manager was so wonderful to me and like let me be in at tables that I necessarily wouldn't have been at unless she let me. Uh, and so they called and said, oh, well, we're putting a call out for a coordinator at, um, at city leaders. So I know you're, um, if you know anyone, and I was like, no anyone, I am. <laughs> I am the one. Uh, so I, I applied, um, and, and Nation actually interviewed me <laughs> for, for that role. And I went on to run city leaders for about three or four cohorts. The significance of this is the following. City leaders existed within a broader strategy to foster greater youth engagement. It took, at its onset, a programmatic uh, intention. How do we get more programs that foster community engagement and create youth leadership opportunities for young people? As a leadership, part of the leadership of the Youth Challenge from the time, we knew that we had a very small window to go beyond just programmatic interventions. That indeed, if beyond $45 million, which is a drop in the bucket if you compare it to the education budget, mm -hmm. the police budget, health budget, $45 million is nothing. If indeed we were going to make a significant sustainable impact with this very significant but small um, finite pot of money in very small point in time, we had to double down on leadership. We had to double down on the skill sets, the mindset uh, of young people who would take the work forward wherever they go. And that is what, in many ways, Agape and other fellow city leaders who are in the room uh, represent. Folks who are now at Mars leading the innovation hub, um, folks who are uh, working with TDSB to address education inequities. Uh, that was our North Star, that the leadership is really the, the objective as much as the programs and getting the money out into community. It's significant because it points to the idea of intentionality, the idea of understanding that recruiting, outreaching and recruiting young people into, whether it's your programs or into your organization, be clear about what the intention is of engaging and outreaching to those folks that you are trying to inc include. Is it to check a box because you have a diversity quota? Because that will lead to a certain experience and certain outcomes. If it's something beyond just checking the box around a diversity quota, if it is really about cultivating the leadership of tomorrow and recognizing the lived experience of folks who are coming from very diverse perspectives, if this is part of the value that you as an organizational leader, you as a change maker, you as a gatekeeper see, then that changes the approach within which, with, with which you both uh, invite young people into your organization and support them on their leadership trajectory. Support on leadership trajectory is as much about understanding what 
is the, the, what is the vision for the young person? Does it align with the organization? And helping them to see that in the very early stage. Thinking about what assets they can gain within the organization, whether they'll stay or move on to another. What assets can they gain and what's, what responsibility am I, as a leader in my organization, as someone who has influence, what responsibility am I taking to ensure that A, I understand those assets um, and, and the, the desired uh, growth or skills, and that I'm building an, uh, opportunities for, for that young person or those young people who I'm taking that responsibility for. So that's meant in many ways what City Leaders as a program was a response to the sector's acknowledgement that there is a need for um, leadership coming out of community uh, that understood community's needs, and it was a program to desi designed to prepare young people to enter into the sector. I think if over 200 individuals went through that program, uh, lots to share with you about what the outcomes of the, that program were. Uh, resoundingly better prepared individuals. The one thing coming back around intentionality that we didn't do well is we didn't complete the path back into the sector. We didn't think through the complete journey. We thought through the skill building, we thought through the relationship building, we thought through the networking. What we didn't do, and take this as you continue in your, your work, is thinking what is the end goal and how does an individual off-ramp into this experience to continue to build and grow either within our organization or outside of our organization? How do we leverage our channels, our, our network, and our and our influence to ensure folks have a place to go. One of the other one of the other initiatives that came to life is an organization called C, yeah. um, which Agapi is now the executive director for. Uh, so it's quite poetic, as I said. There's a there's there comes a point like in your li in life where you get a chance to stand back and appreciate where you are. Yeah. Um, C is an organization that was incubated out of that Youth Challenge Fund investment and is now a emerging organization, I would say, uh, focused on the needs of young people in community. And it's both poetic, uh, but also a testimony to uh, the ways in which an organization sets intentionality about building leadership capacity, puts a learning framework around how you build that individual or those individuals' capacity. You set a bar of accountability to uh, Agapi's point earlier. Um, these are brilliant people coming into our organization. Don't undersell them. Mm -hmm. um, recognize their full potential and continue to put opportunities in front of them that help them to experience themselves in a way that builds confidence and says, I belong here, I can, I can take this on. Um, and that is translated now to a graduate of city leaders now at the helm of an organization that we incubated back in 2010, 2009. Uh, so, it, for me, it's a poetic moment to be standing with Agapi here with you to talk about mm -hmm. that journey of cultivating talent with intentionality and creating a learning framework um, to support that individual, the individuals to uh, build their capacity to step into a sector and achieve their mm -hmm. aspirations. Yeah, something that I think is really important to also <clears throat> kind of talk about, um, and I use examples so that you can draw on that 
where you sit in, in your own organizations, but one of the things that, one of the number one takeaways I would say that I had at United Way and my time at United Way was, A, when um, Nation was interviewing me, it was actually a six month contract. And so he said, well, what are you gonna do after the six months? Right, like just just so you know, like he set it up from the beginning. It, it may or may not pan out because um, the way that the workforce is now is like you have a contract and you're like okay, but it'll most likely be renewed. Right. Um, luckily for me, that that the six months turned into two and a half years. But at the two and a half year mark, uh, as a young person, and I think this also kind of ties into the myth of like young people don't want to be loyal. Right. Um, the reality of like, I'm actually not going to, like the, this program is over <laughs> and I'm actually not going to have a job. Um, and so when I, was do, when I was in that part of that transition, um, management at United Way said, hey look, if you need time, to, if you need to take off time to go look for other jobs or go on, um, go on interviews, like you're, we're open to helping you do that. Um, and they actually, like took a look at like what other things were happening in the organization and where they saw me fit. They put me on like a temporary, um, on like the neighborhoods team. And then um, I had a couple, so I had an interview at, um, for resource development, which is fundraising. So at United Way, obviously the huge thing that they do is, is, is fundraising. Um, and at my time at United Way, the one thing that I realized was um, community and resource development spoke two very different languages. And so they would ask us questions, and I'm like, why are they asking that? They should be asking this. Because I was just like so entrenched in like what my outcomes were and what my, you know, my mandate was. And I didn't really see the other side of it. And so I remember going to an interview um, downstairs at resource development and they asked me a series of questions. Some questions I was just like, I don't even know. <laughs> like they were just asking me questions that I was like, I've been here for two and a half years and I haven't even like asked any, like gotten this perspective because I've just been so focused on what I was doing. And so I started to get intentional. Like I said, well, I, I wanna become a leader of an organization. I wanna lead, I wanna be in management. I wanna go there. And in order for me to go there in the social service sector, the number one thing that everyone always, we go to round tables all the time, they're like, oh, there's not enough money. So I should probably go learn the skill of finding some money. <laughs> so, um, I actually went to, I was intentional about it. So United Way graciously said, you know, uh, maybe later, not now. <laughs> um, maybe go get some more experience. And, uh, and that's what I did. I went and I worked for a hospital foundation for a year after I left United Way. I very much disliked it. <laughs> um, it wasn't something that I, I liked doing because I, and I think for the first time I was just, as a young person, you know, I think our generation, and I am a millennial, um, we're fixated on like doing what we're passionate about, right? And I think that was the first time in like maybe eight years I had stepped out of what I was passionate about. Um, and it wasn't a good feeling, but I knew it was necessary for my growth. And so I told myself, I'll do this for a year and I'll soak up as much as I can um, and then so that I'm prepared for my next move. Um, and so I think that uh, when you are, when you do have young people, I think kind of the, the myths of uh, young people not being loyal, well, the way that the, 
the job, um, the workforce is right now, is that it's contract work. And as much as I would have loved to have stayed at United Way or I would have um, any other job that I've, I've had that was contract work, um, if, if there's no money, there's no money, right? And we have to deal with the reality of what our next move is going to be. So there's, in a sense, a, a sense of like, I have to look out for number one, but I also think that organizations like United Way, um, what they did for me was was they helped make that transition a lot smoother for me because there was open lines of communication. Some of the things that have been, I think, sort of inferred in, in our conversation so far that I want to really make explicit uh, was my own lessons is in working with young people, when, if I were to look back at my job performance, you know when you have that, that question of setting goals? Every year I would set a goal is open a door for another racialized individual to get into this sector. I held myself responsible for that. That was my aspiration. What it takes to do that requires discipline. Uh, it requires a discipline and it requires ethics and authenticity. And I would say the times that I failed at that is how I learned those lessons. The times that I failed that I was not being completely authentic with individuals who I had the best intentions for, they reflected back to me, I expect more from you. I expect higher of you. Um, as someone who represents community in this organization that I don't know that I belong to or I have a place in. Uh, what that means in, in, uh, in Agape's example is the ability to meet folks in very real terms in what you know, we've come to refer to as the gig economy. Well, if the gig economy is a real thing or semi-real thing, and many young people will go through this, I would encourage again, based on my own lessons, I would encourage those who are influencers, gatekeepers, hirers in this room to look at young people coming into your organizations not from a transactional perspective, what can I get out of you in this moment, fulfill this contract, but the full person. That discipline of seeing beyond just the transactional opportunity with an individual who has skill sets to offer you puts you in the mindset to say, in a very authentic way, there may not be another pivot point within this organization beyond this point, but I'm committed to your growth. Tell me, where do you want to go from here? And that becomes the plan around the individual. It becomes part of the learning plan. It becomes part of the challenges that you put in front of the individual because if Agapi sees herself as a leader of an organization, many folks, and I know this conversation is in some ways limited to the human services sector. Um, many f young people who come into it, the, they're passionate about their community. They're passionate about young people or they're passionate about a particular issue and don't necessarily see at that point in time the importance of the broader system, the importance of how finance, governance, all the elements that keep an organization together are important to the work that really drives them. And uh, what I have learned along the way, as more and more young people ask me how to get into the sector, as more and more young people ask for mentorship, is in that very first moment, do you know what it means to be a leader um, beyond what is driving you and your passion in this moment? Because it goes beyond just showing up and being with the youth on the basketball court 
or hanging out and learning, that's part of the work, but leadership is helping emerging leaders in our community to understand here's the trajectory that is in front of you. Where do you want to go and how can I help you? Uh, and if it is a one month, if it is a one year contract or a six month contract or a year and a half contract, to be very intentional with uh, that, those individuals to say, here's a job description, here's what's expected of you, we'll check in. Here's your learning journey that is designed to meet your leadership aspirations. And if at the end of their contract there's an opportunity here, great. If not, we've done the work to figure out how I support you to pivot to the next place that you have. And the degree to which you meet expectations, I will be your sponsor. I'll advocate for you um, with, within our, our network of influence. So to summarize, for me, part of the, th the, the things that I would share with you, which is, I'm I would assume, not a surprise to anyone. Um, ethics and authenticity is really, really critical for uh, young people who are stepping in. They understand they're in a precarious world. So the degree to which, if we, if we equate a precarity with uncertainty, the degree to which we as leaders and organizations can offer some level of certainty, some level of predictability beyond the one year or one and a half year contract is where you will, A, help to really support the leadership um, uh, of, of young people who are entering into the workforce, and B, if that individual is the right person within your organization, that's how you foster loyalty. You foster loyalty by demonstrate care. You foster loyalty by going beyond the transaction of hire, make sure you meet your deliverables, check-in, performance evaluation, done. It has to go beyond that dichotomy, um, in, depending on where you fall in your social values, uh, for really thinking about the leadership of, uh, of our organizations of today, uh, the ones that we're in, and the ones that will be hiring uh, the largest population, the largest demographic right now, who's, who's like at 40 about in this room? That's the oldest millennial. Who's 29? That's the youngest millennial. You guys are the, you, you, guys, you folks are the bookends of the millennial um, uh, generation. And on that note, I would say all the things that you read on the internet, of which there's a plethora of TED Talks, a plethora of articles, on millennials, one thing rings true for me. They are not a monolithic group. And our tendency as organizational leaders, our tendency as human beings is to simplify and put people in, in, in boxes. Um, resist that temptation. Resist that temptation because the young people between 29 and 40 right now, uh, depending on um, Immigration status, depending on race, depending on sexual orientation, depending on indigenous status, all have a different reality um, and pathway within which they are navigating. Uh, so resist the temptation to generalize who and what a millennial is. It is not, most of those things are not true. The social economic factors related to millennials are true writ large. Um, but how, they, how young people between 29 and 40, which is the largest uh, workforce uh, here, uh, how they think, how they make decisions, how they build relationships differs depending on what your particular context is. Mm -hmm.
I would agree. And then the other thing that I think is um, important to also know, and just like as a as a practice, and I do this a lot, is um, our generation and also um, Gen Z, I guess, um, we don't like process, so we just wanna get it done, right? Like now, I think a perfect example of that is like the last organization I worked for did content, like young people made content. And the reality that somebody could open up their phone or their computer and talk for 20 minutes and then become a YouTube star <laughs> is like very real. Like you don't need like a fancy camera to make it happen. So we're in this generation where it's just like, let's just get it done. And especially in the work that we do, there's a lot of factors and, and um, much to what Nation was saying and the experience that I had at, at United Way where I looked down and was just like, wow, there's so many other factors here. So one of the things that I do with the folks that I work with is I sit down with every employee and I say, okay, where do you see yourself? Do you wanna eventually be a manager? Do you, like, where do you see yourself in this thing? And sometimes people say, oh, well, I run like a nonprofit outside of here and it's really grassroots or I'm doing advocacy or whatever the case is. And I actually am extremely transparent. And I think transparency just like demystifies a lot of barriers for employees because a lot of the time there's like a lot of process and nor and usually there's a reason for that, right? Like there's governance and if you don't understand governance then you're not gonna understand why there's a board. Like why do we have to answer to these people? Why does their opinion matter? Um, fundraising for instance, if we have um, a fundraising goal that's something that I make very clear to the entire team. Like, this is a, not a me problem. This is a us problem, <laughs> right? And so putting it back onto people, and you'll, you'll be very surprised at how quickly people will rise to the occasion. And also, um, when they come with ideas, then, you know, I think a lot of the time, because we're dealing with very little time and very little money, we're constantly like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense right now, or we can't do that, that's too, that's too much. But allowing people to say, hey, this is a budget, okay? And if you're, and if you're constantly capacity building with your staff, then they'll know how to manage one. You say, this is a budget, go make it happen. And 99% of the time, at least the young people that I, that in these generations that I work with, they come back with something brilliant that probably would have cost us a fortune because they pull their resources and they make it happen. So I, I really encourage that transparency is something that's really important for, for young people and the ability to understand why things are the way they are. Um, and, and that will help us get to a, a place of understanding. So we're gonna wrap up um, really quickly now. Uh, we've got about a couple of questions for you and then I'm, what I would like to do before we go to that is uh, walk through some of the five things that we think are, are really critical for change makers, for folks who open doors, for influencers. Um, the first is uh, appreciate that young people are in a, in, in a place now where there will be less well-off than the generations before them. That economic security is not a promise for young people right now. Um, and that leaves young people in their number one priority from the research uh, as, er, as going back to 2017, uh, conducted by Enveronics, uh, Circle Foundation, RBC, um, uh, and a couple of other organizations that are escaping my mind right now. The number one thing, financial security. Previous generations, family, children. This generation, financial security. 
the ability to save money, and potentially a home. That's top of mind. So when you're bombarded with news of where the market is going, this is the gig economy, there's precarity, an appreciation of what that might mean for the individual sitting in front of you and mirroring that and, and uh, being able to meet them in that place of uncertainty uh, is an important step of, how, of relationship building and fostering trust and loyalty uh, with your potential, your potential colleague. The second is, and we mentioned this earlier, is start, uh, start the relationship with career mapping. Set a path for younger workers based on what their aspirations are, whether or not that's within your organization or places within which you can help individuals to pivot. What is your career path? What's your aspiration? Why are you in this? And here, and helping folks to see what is the full potential of what your passion and what's driving you, uh, both not just as a frontline worker, but as a man mid manager, a manager, and and in, um, where those skill sets can translate into other sectors beyond the sector within which they're they're entering. That's that's a critical step you can take forward, and you can practice as you leave this door. Um, the third, inspire by inspire buy-in and loyalty by having a clear learning agenda with. Um, with uh, your folks who are coming into your organization, uh, of course aligned with their job description, but also aligned a core, where do I wanna go? What are the things that I feel are gonna round me out um, uh, as I uh, continue to pursue, pursue my career? Um, and pro uh, provide intentional opportunities uh, to apply what are innate natural assets and skills uh, for, those, uh, for folks to continue to build those muscles. The fourth is creating coaching and mentorship opportunities, um, not just one-to-one, -one, but with a broad network within your organization and outside of your organization. The degree to which those mentorship and networking opportunities can expand a young person's understanding of all the opportunities um, within the organization. Many organizations have a finance department, they have an IT department, some can afford an HR department, <laughs> uh, some have a marketing department. Uh, the degree to which folks can connect and expand their understanding of scope of work within one organization, never mind a net, uh, how that organization is connected to network, I think adds value to that, ex that, that individual's experience. Uh, and then finally, um, cultivate and encourage entrepreneurship. I know that's a new buzzword, uh, but if we really believe that innovation is necessary for us to come up with new ideas, New, uh, new practices, new processes to respond to complex problems, uh, tap into the innovation and the mindset of young people who will challenge historical ways of doing things uh, and help them to, uh, help them to maximize that, that perspective and, and add value to, to your organization. So those are the five ideas that we have to share with you. I'm sure some of it are no surprise, but good to hear again. Thank you for listening to 5 Good Ideas with Agapi Giussesi and Nation Chong. We linked their 5 Good Ideas, their resources, and a full transcript of today's session in our show notes. You can find all of our 5 Good Ideas sessions from past seasons on the Matri website. That's matri.com forward slash 5 good dash ideas. And you can subscribe to the 5 Good Ideas podcast to continue to listen to our best sessions. See you next time.